feel like I'm in a jazz club. <laughs> Turn down the lights and get the little round table with the little chair. Come on now. <laughs> I don't know who, who made up that, uh, that deal. It's kind of groove that gets you in the groove on a Sunday morning, huh? All right. Okay, okay. Well, it's good to be with you today. You know, it's a great time to be alive and everything's good. How about the low humidity finally? Two days. That's it. Forget it. It's all over with. The windows are sweating again on the door of the house. It doesn't matter. So there it goes. So, so look, I'm glad to be here today. We're in, a, we're in just uh, the beginning of a great series that's going to last all the way until November. And uh, we're going to get a lot out of it. It's Matthew chapter 5 through chapter 7. And it's uh, dealing with the Beatitudes mostly. And uh, the, the thing is that if, you've, if you didn't get the the introduction to it, would you go ahead and get online this afternoon before you uh, finish the day and get caught up because, you know, this is going to be some good stuff, but not only good stuff, this could be life-changing for you because in the book of Matthew here in these chapters, Jesus really is teaching us what he desires his disciples to be like, to be and to do, not just to be and not do and not to do and not be, but to be and do. And you'll find that in these chapters. It's just wonderful. The, the Beatitudes, and most of you know that it's the Sermon on the Mount. It's the largest sermon that Jesus ever preached. But watch this. The word Beatitude actually means blessed. And in there, you're going to see that Jesus uses that word eight times. Now, when he uses the word blessed, what he's talking about is, is a full life. He's talking about favored by God. He's talking about well-off He's not necessarily talking about happy, clappy, uh, blessed. I'm blessed. I'm blessed because I got a new car. I'm blessed because I'm going on a picnic or, or things of that nature. But those things are good. However, he's talking about really perfect happiness that's really outside of temporary circumstances. Now, we've been beating this drum for a long time about not being ruled by temporary circumstances to receive a, a broader vision of what God has done in eternity with the cross of Christ. It's an amazing thing. And, and Jesus said this. He said, if you live the way that I'm telling you to live in these chapters, you're going to be blessed. The blessed life. It's a wonderful time. So uh, it's also solely, listen to this now, it's solely for the believers. These chapters here are for people who have dedicated their life to Christ. And it's also here to provoke people who have not yet dedicated their life to Christ to come on into the family. I mean, you just need to jump in the water because it's good. It's better than what I ever had in the world. So week two, the Beatitudes Starting in Matthew chapter 5, verse 4, you read along with me. It says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Now, now simply that the idea that Jesus would say, blessed if you lose something, because if you're mourning, you've lost something. You know that. And so it doesn't go uh, really with our natural thinking. We, we, I mean, how is it? How can I be blessed if I'm mourning? How can you be blessed if you lose something? Well, if you study the Word of God for any amount of time, you're going to find this out. You're going to find that many times the Scriptures go contrary to your natural thinking. It really does. So if you're, if you're struggling with that and wondering, well, wait, that doesn't make any sense. You're right, it doesn't make any sense to the natural person. You know, it doesn't make any sense that it's better to give than receive because the natural mind says, no, it's good to receive. 
It's really good. I'd rather receive than give any day. That's what the natural person is saying. But God goes contrary to that. Love your enemies goes contrary to what your natural mind would think because you want to beat up your enemies. And so there's these two aspects that Jesus is going to begin to teach us uh, about this thing of mourning. And we're going to use the word suffering and sorrow and mourning kind of interchangeably this morning to help you to kind of get a full scope of what's going on. And the, the two sections of, of mourning are sorrow in life and sorrow in sin. So when we look at sorrow in life, all human beings, every one of you in this room, every one of you watching online, you know, whether you're in your car or you're in the couch or wherever you are, suffering and mourning comes to everybody. It's part of life. All human experience has something to do with sorrows. In relationships, an estranged child, you know what I'm talking about, divorce, abuse, these relationships on the job, in the family, your neighbors, there's always this tension sometimes, and it comes to all of us, no matter how good you are, no matter how great you are, it comes to you. There's this thing of health. You know, the, 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 there's troubles in it. I love that song we just sang, that brand new song, because Jesus is over everything, but he's over everything, and I believe that. But, but know this, that there are people who are suffering right now in sickness and disease. I know three ladies in our church right now who are suffering through cancer. And they're fighting the battle, brilliantly fighting the battle and believing that they're going to win the battle. And we're, we're believing with them. But it comes. It comes in our family. It comes to our friends. Financial problems, debt, and bankruptcy come to people. I experienced bankruptcy as a, as a young, young person in my family. Three times we went broke and lost everything. It just comes to you. You say, well, I, I'm good. I'm a good steward. And then all of a sudden, a pandemic comes, and the restaurant that you've given your life to, that you've been working on for 30 years, all of a sudden, no customers, and next thing you know, the doors are shut and your dreams are, are, are killed. It comes to us. And then death. Death touches every family. If you live long enough, your parents die. Sometimes our children die before we do. It's tragic. It really is, and it goes contrary to our logic. You can't reconcile when you've got things like this going on. Yesterday was the, 10th, the 20th anniversary of 9-11. A lot of people died on that day in the towers and the field of Pennsylvania and, and in the Pentagon. Well, not only those that died, many have died since then with related illnesses and diseases and families have been splintered and people have been hurt. And for, for many, many, many people, life has never been the same since. And for some, it made life better. Somehow or another, they, they, either by the power of God or just out of the goodness of their heart, it turned to good. And then to others, it has wrecked their life forever. This thing of suffering in life. But for the Christian, for the Christian, suffering forges character in us. We're different people. We live differently. We are from another kingdom. And so it forges character. In Romans chapter 5, we see the process of this. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. Why? Glory in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance produces character. And character produces hope. It's an amazing uh, process there. As a matter of fact, yesterday we were bringing our mother-in-law back 
home to Louisiana, and I was meditating on this scripture as I was driving, and all of a sudden I realized that I've been reading the scripture for 40 years, and I never really saw the connection between suffering and hope. It's a process, though. You go through suffering, and you go through sorrows, and it produces perseverance in you if you don't quit. And then when perseverance takes hold, it builds godly character in you, not just character being a good guy, godly character, Jesus' character, and then it, it ends up in hope. So we glory in sorrow and suffering so that we might have hope. It's just a tremendous thing. It sounds unrealistic. It really does, but it's true, and it works. And if you live with Jesus long enough, you'll realize that that works in your life, and it's just amazing. Even though it doesn't make any sense, it's still amazing. The sorrows in life. But then there's sorrows in sin. There's, there's much, so much sorrow. There's so much sin in the world. You know, there, there's the sins of this world. You know, there's, there's murder, there's crime, there's, there's all sorts of injustices, there's, there's greed. And by the way, it never will stop. There's corruption in government, in business, and even in families. There's backbiting and, and killing and a assassination of character going on. And, and we think somehow or another we can fix this thing up through the political system. That's what a lot of people are thinking. Oh, if only. But, but no, it's never going to be oh, but only. I'm going to tell you when things are going to change. Now, listen, don't ever forget this, Christians. Don't ever forget it. It's going to change dramatically when Jesus Christ sets his foot on this earth and changes everything for all of eternity. So until then, take heart. Jesus over everything. He's over everything. You think he's sleeping on the throne. Look, he's not you on your couch on Sunday afternoon watching a ball game. He is alive and well, and he is focused on his plan of eternity. But then you know what? There's this thing of sin of self, us. Can we talk about us for a moment? Can we talk about believers for a moment? There's all sorts of sin. You know, Galatians lists them. It lists things like sexual immorality, that's happening, impurities, sensuality, idolatry, these things, drunkenness, enmity. How about fits of anger, dissensions, divisions, all these things it lists in Galatians Chapter 5, it lists all those, and it's a list, and we love lists. But I was reading yesterday, this scripture just came to my mind, and I thought about it. I thought about it in the book of James, where James is speaking, and, and he, he says a sentence that you don't like and I don't like. He says, for you who know to do good and do not do it, to you it is sin. Oh, my goodness, Lord, have mercy on my soul. <laughs> you mean it's not on the list? Uh, why not? Why is it on a list, Lord? I didn't do anything on this list. I'm not like that. But then he says, you know, if I speak to you to do something, you don't do it to you, it's sin. <laughs> Even if you just know, you say, well, I need, I need the Spirit of God to tell me. But you know a lot of things to do, right? You know you ought to not scream at your wife. You know that. You know that. But yet you do it to you, it's sin. Hmm. I like what John Stote said. He said, we Christians who make much of grace sometimes thereby make light of sin. There is not enough sorrow for sin among us. 
we should experience more godly sorrow of Christian penitence. You know what the word penitence means? It means the action of feeling or showing sorrow and regret for having done something wrong. Wrong. You have this deep feeling. Not that necessarily you did something against a person, but that you did something against God. Romans chapter 8 helps us. It says, so then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh, not to this person here, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. It's not by might, not by your might, by your willpowers. It's not by your strength. Believers, it's by the power of the Spirit of God that lives in you because when the Holy Spirit comes to live with you at salvation, there is a power that is resident in you that empowers you to overcome the sins of the flesh. We got one clapping on. We got one clapping going on. I love that. But it, you, do you understand? Quit giving in and just succumbing and saying, well, it's the way I am. By the Spirit, we're able to do this. Really, you know what it is? It's this process. Dying to self is a grieving process. Did you know that? Man, when you have to die to certain things in your life, there's a grieving process. Because a life with Jesus is a continual change. It's a continual transition for 30 years. And I think I got this thing down pat. And then the Lord says, you ain't got nothing down pat. How about this? And then all of a sudden you're like back at ground zero again having to work this thing up. Continual transformation. The apostle Paul, my goodness, said, I have to die daily. I'm dying daily. What was he dying daily to? Dying daily to his own desires, his own flesh, what he wanted. He didn't want to suffer any more than you. These guys didn't have the market cornered on suffering like we like to suffer. Look at us. We're the champions of suffering. That's sort of how we look at things. Like, like they're, they're great. If I was Moses. Yeah, if you were Moses, you'd beat the rock. And then God would say, come up on the mountain. You're done. You're dead. I mean, you understand? You want to be Moses. Oh, man. You know, if I was Moses. Oh, man. If I was Peter, that's, oh, if I was Peter. But then Peter messed all up and lied and cheated there up there and talking about the Gentiles and hiding from Paul and don't know what to do and messed it all up. So watch this. Pastor taught us last week how Jesus said to us, you must deny yourselves and pick up your cross and follow him. It's a dying process. You may have to lose relationships when you come to Jesus. It is just the way it is. Because some of you, even right now, are in relationships that are harmful to your transformation into the image of Christ. And you say, well, what do I do? Well, break them off. <laughs> you say, how do I do that? Don't go there. <laughs> Don't text them. You say, well, they bother me. Block them. What's all this thing about? It? I don't know what to do. They keep texting me. Block them. <laughs> How hard is that? <laughs> Block, done. That's it. 
You may have to grieve over loss of old lifestyle because some of you are living a lifestyle that's not pleasing to Jesus and it's got to go. And you're going to suffer for it because you like what you do. I liked what I did. I liked a lot of things I did before I came to Christ. I loved a lot of things. You hear me? And then they had to start dying and it was like, grieving. like, well, I can't believe. Finally, one day we said, well, we're Christians. All we can do is go to church and eat. That's all that's left. You may think you're going along real fine, and then Jesus says, you know what? I want you to move to another country. I want you to move to another state. I want you to preach the gospel, quit that job, hang up all that, give up all that money, do all this, do all that. Not to most of you, but some of you. I was sitting there in worship practice this morning, just worshiping with the guys in the back in the dark, and nobody knew. And I saw the back of a, of a little guy's head. I don't even know who he is. I, I just met him a while ago uh, after, after this. And, I mean, I just, you know, fist pumped him. I don't know his name. I don't know who he is. But I saw his, his little blonde head, and, and I just began, inside, I just, I, something began to move. I said, Lord, you know, you may be calling this young man right here as he's listening to this wonderful worship in this wonderful atmosphere. And you're going to wreck his life. Because <laughs> he, you know, mom and dad's got plans for their kids. And then Jesus steps in. I'm Lord. He ain't doing what you thought. <laughs> Second Corinthians 7.10 sums it up. For godly grief, in other words, grief that God knows about. In other words, God's, God knows about what's going on. Godly grief produces repentance a reformation or change not only of position but of conduct that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief, in other words, you're caught by man, produces death. Just sorry because I did something wrong and got, you know, fined or put in jail. That's not godly grief. Godly grief is God, I've sinned against you and only you, against heaven. I've done this thing against you, God. That's what produces repentance and change. You see, because the Holy Spirit is faithful to convict us and our response is brokenness before God that leads to repentance, which is change. Oh, it's sorrowful. It's sorrowful. You know, sorrows at nighttime, but joy coming in the morning. If you'll hang on long enough through the night seasons of, of dying to self, joy will come in the morning. It brings comfort also. When you repent and when God moves in by his spirit, there is a comfort that takes place. And when we think of comfort, we think about the way we are right now, sitting in a nice chair. I don't know about you, but I love comfort, don't you? I love comfort. I like air conditioning and soft chairs and a nice hot shower and a big TV. I love that. A comfortable car that doesn't bounce around the road or anything. I love comfort. You love comfort. We love comfort. But he's not talking about that kind of comfort. He's talking about the kind of comfort that embraces your soul and that brings peace to your mind. You see, because confession and contrition for sin causes repentance, and repentance brings comfort to us from God. It's nothing that you can feel on the outside or conjure up or uh, give a formula. It's something on the inside, spirit to spirit. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, 
who comforts us in all afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction and with the comfort with which we ourselves are confident by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. So to sum that all up is very, very simple. God will comfort you in your afflictions, your sufferings, your sorrows. He will come alongside of you by the power of his spirit. It's spiritual, folks. It's not just emotional. It's spiritual. And he will embrace you. He will give you solace. And Jesus will console you in the nighttime when nobody can do it. He will. But then watch this. People will also comfort you. We need a relationship with Jesus. There has to be lordship with Jesus. He's got to be Lord over our life so that he can come in at any moment, any time, even uninvited, and exert his will into your life in the area of comfort. But then also, we need relationships with people because iron sharpens iron. It's so important, folks. Relationships are paramount to the mourning process. What I love about this church and what, I, what I've seen that has developed is that people care for one another without a program. Did you hear that? That, that people have relationships with one another and, and it doesn't have to be the pastor coming up and say, you know now, every Tuesday at 7 p.m., we're going to visit some people in the church and, you know, and, and see if they have a need. No, because of small groups and relationships with people, we already know. We already know. You don't have to make an announcement. You don't have to put it in a bulletin of some kind. You don't have to put it on the Facebook page. We know. A young couple in our small group for two years now, they're in military. They moved to Jacksonville, Florida. His father just died just like that. We didn't need the church to call us up and say, what you going to do? We got together in a small group and said, let's, let's send them flowers. Let's send them condolences. Let's just embrace them. Let's comfort them. It's automatic. Relationships are automatic. Come on now. And so we are comforted to comfort others. It's very, very simple. It, it's just this way. See, the comfort you receive in your suffering is not just for you. Isn't that great? Because everything God does is in giving. He gives so that you can give. You receive comfort. Look, if you know what it's like to lose a wife, you can always comfort someone who loses a wife. If you've gone bankrupt in your finances, who better to comfort someone who has lost everything? It's a gift you have. Your suffering is a gift that God will allow in your life so that he might comfort you so that you might help somebody else. You know what it is? It's body ministry. It's evangelism. It is what it is. You know, we're exploring this series here in Matthew, in the Beatitudes. And it's a, it's, it's a spiritual thing. It's not just a carnal thing. It's spiritual. And the further you go into this series, and the further you go into the Word here, you're going to find that it gets very, very serious. The thing I love about the ministry of Jesus, when he first started off, it's like, boom, ba -dum, ba -dum, let's turn some water into wine. And the closer he got to the cross, it turned from turning water into wine to raising the dead. And then to telling his disciples, by the way, I'm going to be crucified and I'm going to die. It's a serious thing. 
we come together today for a serious thing. Very serious business. So you say, well, what is the end of all this? How is it going? What is going to happen? What about all this suffering? What about all this pain? Revelation chapter 21. You know, the book of Revelation is not just about eschatology. As a matter of fact, when John penned it, he penned it as the book of the revelation of Jesus Christ. And this is what he says. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. You say, what am I enduring towards? What is the, what is the hope? What is the calling? What is, what's, where's the goal line? You know, when is the point going to be scored? Right here. When Jesus comes on the scene and says, enough of this, enough of that. You are clean. You are pure. It is done. It is completely finished. <laughs> 